0: Welcome to the Mindset Neuroscience Podcast. I'm Stephanie Faye, and I'll be sharing insights into how human brain architecture and biology are influenced by our unconscious fears and social behaviors. I'll also give you science-based strategies on how to skyrocket the brain's learning potential by focusing on the power of mindset, relationship, and psychological safety. Thanks for listening. In this episode, we're going to look at the idea of psychological and physiological safety, and how important it is for us to be in a state of safety in order for our most evolved neural and behavioral resources to be accessible to us. We'll be looking at this idea through the lens of something called the social engagement system and the polyvagal theory, which has to do with the tenth cranial nerve called the vagus nerve. This massive nerve connects many many parts of our body, including our visceral organs, digestive tract. It puts breaks on our heart when we need them, and it also connects to muscles that influence our voice as well as voluntary muscles, the striate muscles in our face and muscles in our middle ear. As soon as we move into a state of vigilance or defensiveness, we have less access to this very evolved system. So if we truly want to help people learn and be at their most adaptive and flexible, our number one goal before we even talk about mindset should be to help them access a state of physiological and psychological safety. This is not to say there's no room for stress. Research shows that a certain level of stress and arousal is good for us to learn and be focused, but I'm talking more about toxic stress, where it is debilitating and or so present and consistent in someone's life that it actually holds them back from their most evolved brain features and behaviors. Because life is stressful, and many people have more stressful environments than others, especially those coming from households where there's a lot of abuse, or communities where there's a lot of violence, or people engaged in professions where there's a lot of need for their systems of defense to come online, such as the military, we need to help those people and ourselves understand how we can make our internal state of safety more accessible to us when we need it. And so understanding this idea of the social engagement system and the vagus nerve can help us do three key things. One, regulate our own internal state. Two, have a better understanding of other people's triggers and how to help them regulate themselves. And three, create conditions that nurture the social engagement system and increase chances that our most evolved systems can come online in a given moment. So that's what we'll touch on in this episode. The idea of the social engagement system, what it consists of, and how we can help it be more accessible to us and others. I'll be pulling as always from Stephen Porges and his polyvagal theory, as well as Bessel van der Kolk's and Bruce Perry's trauma-informed models for research and education. Thanks for joining me. In Any moment that I am interacting with another human being, I am going to try to convey two key things, my intention and my internal state. And I'm going to use my most evolved system for that. And the most evolved system is the social engagement system which is the myelinated vagus nerve, the cranial nerve that recruits the muscles in the eyes that indicate safety, a certain prosodic voice that indicates our internal state and intention of safety, and the tensing of the middle ear muscles in order to hear a person's voice, a human's voice when we are using this social engagement system those features I just talked about prosody of voice facial expression middle ear tension when those features of safety are there within an interaction we have with another person they down the sympathetic nervous system which by containing that we are allowing for the more myelinated and evolved neural circuitry to support health growth and restoration so we'll go a little more into that So one thing that this vagus nerve does is it controls my facial gestures. And particularly, it controls muscles in my face and very particular ones around my my orbital cavity, around my eyes. So I will indicate safety. One way that I will indicate safety to you is going to be from the nose up. It's going to come from my eyes and the, the muscles around my eyes. And interestingly, in Buddhism, we call this soft eyes or smiling eyes. And you have, may have heard also the expression that our smile comes mainly from the eyes rather than our mouth. So if you can try and do this right now, try to keep your eyes really open and not crinkling, none of the muscles crinkling at the sides And then try to smile at the same time. I do this with audiences, and it looks really creepy um, it definitely do not induce a feeling of safety with somebody when I smile like this. So, I could cover up from the nose down and smile and someone would know that I'm smiling based on my eyes and the, what my muscles are doing around my eyes. We also see this in mammals. Mammals also have this vagus nerve. You can see in a dog a relaxation of the muscles in the, that upper area of their head when they're happy. That's, you can see almost a dog smile based on, on how relaxed their forehead muscles get and there's, the ears go down, as opposed to when it's very tense and their ears come up. The other aspect is that when our eyes become more attentive to what we are looking at, that actually um, tenses at the exact same time in a mechanical way, it tenses the middle ear muscles. And those middle ear muscles are what help us focus on the very unique frequency of human voice. And there's really particular aspects of the human voice. And one in particular is something called prosody, which is really like a variability of exhalation and rhythm and tone, all of those different things that are happening when we are prosodic in our voice, it means we're not flat. We're not monotonous or robotic sounding. So that prosody of voice is something that will help someone else feel safe. If you are using prosodic voice with me, that is a basically an unconscious cue for me to tune out background sound and tune into the frequency of your voice. We are hardwired to pick up on these microscopic. Biological movements of the body, the the vibration of the vocal cords, the, the even the smell of our sweat glands as our internal state changes, the tiny microscopic tension of someone's jaw muscles, the you know the muscular movements around the eyes, all of that stuff we're picking these up at every single moment of every single interaction that we have with another human being. If you are giving off that your internal state or your intention is not. One that is there to create safety with another human, they will pick up on that, they will feel defensive, and you will see them not really be able to listen to you or focus. It's not just you. It can also be conditions in the environment. If there is a lot of sound, a lot of background sound, a lot of bass frequency, any kind of loud sound like gunshots or explosion or loud, angry yelling or slamming of doors or any of those kinds of sounds... That means that their middle ear muscles are not getting a lot of neural toning, which can lead to a lower ability to be able to tense it at other moments. So if they're coming from that kind of environment and then they're coming into, let's say, a learning environment where you are at, any kind of base frequency can set them off in this unconscious way of triggering those middle ear muscles to open up. So it will look like they are not listening to you. And the fact is, they biologically, neurologically cannot in that moment until they feel safe. And so, the other aspect of what happens in these moments is if we are feeling. If there is a perceived threat, and again, this can come from something that seems innocent to you, but if a person has been exposed to a lot of threat in their environment, and also there can be developmental things, such as people with auditory hypersensitivity, there are different aspects of what we think is happening in terms of, let's say, someone on the spectrum. There is some, uh, there's some studies that are showing that there is a relationship with a particular kinds of virus and infections that might happen in the womb that lead to this. But in any event, someone with auditory hypersensitivity and or someone who's coming from environments where there is a lot of this sound of predator, which are these base frequencies that have to do with bone conduction. If people are coming from those kinds of environments or from those developmental issues... It won't just be what you are doing in a, in a certain interaction, but all of the sounds that are happening in that learning environment. And if they are triggered, it means then that the sympathetic nervous system has been recruited, it's the mobilization mode, And what happens when that is recruited is that we have less access to two really key areas of the brain and features of the brain. One is the prefrontal cortex and the other is the hippocampus. The hippocampus is part of what allows us to store sequenced memory and perform verbal memory functions. And the prefrontal cortex has to do a lot with executive functioning, like impulse control, weighing of pros and cons and future consequences, all of that kind of stuff. So when someone is on the defensive and doesn't feel safe and we're you know we're talking right now about learning environments but this is also relationship environments home environments work environments if someone is on the defensive if they are feeling that way they are not really capable of learning in that moment they're definitely not capable of being creative the only possibility in those moments is for them to be reactive not creative but reactive using their mobilization defense system And so our internal state and our intentions are very, very important if we are trying to help somebody learn or have a mindset shift or be creative and innovative. The environment that they're in and the human dynamics that are occurring in that environment are part of what will trigger well, let's say allow for the recruitment of our most evolved system, which is that myelinated vagus system. and that is what allows actually a slowing down of the heart and a engagement or recruitment of the higher order brain structures, such as the prefrontal cortex. If we don't have those safe conditions and safe human dynamics, the next system will basically immediately come online without our choice. This is not a conscious thing. These are unconscious triggers and unconscious unconscious reactions that are happening. The next system will come online, and that is the defensive mobilization system, which is the sympathetic nervous system, and that increases blood flow to our skeletal muscles, which allows us for fight or flight. If that doesn't work, if we are not able to create a sense of safety for ourselves using that mobilization system, the next system our more primitive system then becomes recruited. And that is the the parasympathetic system that is immobilization or the fiend death or freeze system. And that is a basically a, a putting real breaks on the heart and a shutting down, a folding over of the body. And it's a posture of submission that actually was very adaptive for mammals to have because it is basically saying, I'm not going to fight or run away. So this might be my last chance of escaping death to whatever this predator or threat that I perceive is. And the the way these systems cascade like this is something called Jacksonian dissolution. It comes from previous research by John Hewlings Jackson. He was a neurologist in the late 1800s, and he talked about something called dissolution. He proposed that the, the brain, the highest levels of the neural circuits in the brain, inhibit the lower or the phylogenetically, like the evolutionarily older neural circuits, And when the higher ones are suddenly functionless, when they're not able to create the the safety that we need, the lower neural circuits will just rise in activity. And we don't have a choice over this. It just starts to go into this dissolution. We're not only talking about Uh, what we would call tissue damage type of danger, physical danger. But the idea of fear of failure, as an example, that is also something that puts us on the defensive. And so certain ways that we have of assessing performance When we put too much emphasis on scores or test performance, that can also cause this level of defensiveness because a person is feeling like they need to defend and not be rejected, not be deemed as not valuable. And that can also put someone on the defensive. So again, that's not necessarily going to allow for learning to happen. But remember that each organism is different, that this does not mean across the board. Some people function extremely well when it comes to tests and being tested, and some people don't. If they don't, it has to do with they're perceiving this as a threat to their existence. This metaphorical danger of failure has been embedded in them through the reactions of others towards their failure. It's usually a mindset that gets learned from their family, culture, society, school, teachers, all of that that embeds in them this idea that failure will equal my rejection from the tribe. And that's extremely primitive rejection that we tie into feelings of feeling like we might die or survival is really under threat. So that also causes that defensive system. So a few things that we can do to help with creating safety. So allowing for the most evolved circuitry to come alive and to be engaged is to create safe conditions. So one of them is going to be through using prosodic voice. And by prosodic voice, I don't mean that it has to be sing-song, but I will say that high-frequency sing-song voice, what we have been calling motheries, but caregiveries <laughs> is the more, more modern term now, which is that if you think about it right now, what age group would you want to feel the most safe? And most people will answer kids, the young, the young ones, the babies. And notice that the younger a baby is, the more likely I'm going to talk to it, at least me specifically, like, what you doing? And this also works with mammals. If you approach an animal like a dog, most people will engage in a higher pitched voice. And so we intuitively know that the higher the frequency is, the safer we are showing our intentions to be towards that other organism. And another really, really important biological function to that high frequency voice that we use with babies is they are able to learn language better. One reason being that there are certain frequencies to the ends of syllables vowels and consonants what we call a performance of frequency that that middle ear muscle helps us to distinguish between sounds and sound awareness, the ability to know when a word is ending or starting and the different sounds that are happening. That ability is really important for language development and reading and writing. So there's a you know there's an important function behind talking to a baby that way. And honestly, I think it actually feels really good to talk to <laughs> babies and animals that way. I, I don't know if there's research on it, but I have a feeling it releases oxytocin or something in the person speaking it also. So one way to create safety is through prosodic voice. So again, it's not sing song, but it is variability in your expression. So not flat expression. Now, here's one of the biggest ways that we lose expressiveness and prosody in our voice. And that is when we are distracted. We are distracted by our own Thoughts when we're talking to somebody or we're distracted by trying to multitask with a phone or some other thing, that will cause flat facial gesture expression and will cause flat voice expression. It'll be lack of prosody when we are trying to multitask. There is actually no such thing as multitask. It's always cognitive switching and doing trying to cognitively switch really fast from one thing to another is going to make it so you're not truly present in that moment with that person and that's going to make your voice lose that rhythm of prosody. So if you are engaged in a conversation with anybody, the most important thing to do is to be very, very present in your body, to be, have your eyes focused on them. The other piece of this myelinated vagus nerve is the eye gaze. So having eyes present, obviously you're not going to stare in a <laughs> like fixated way on that person that can make people feel really uncomfortable. What I say when I talk about all of this is if your intention is, is to just feel safe and show a person that you want to have a connection with them. These are things that will just happen organically rather than try to go from the outside in and say, I'm going to stare intently at this person and purposely try to add rhythm to my voice. That's going to start making it sound really strange. It's more going to come from the inside out, which is that I'm going to Take a long exhalation before I start my conversation and I'm going to set an intention of just trying to connect, just trying to learn about that person or try to make them feel safe in this learning environment, make them feel safe about making mistakes, all of those things. When your intention is that, your body can follow and there's lots of options of how it will do that. So you're going to use prosody of voice. You're going to use presence of your facial gestures, your tone of voice, your eye gaze, trying to just be aware of your facial gestures and seeing if you can take a longer exhalation to help you relax some of your facial muscles, not crossing your arms. You know, we've heard that before. Those are the the body movement pieces, but very much to me, the importance is this presence that we have, and that will bring prosody and facial gestures The main reason we won't have prosody of voice, flat facial gestures, is when we are distracted, whether we are glancing at a phone, thinking about something else. What we call that actually is a violation of the social engagement system because we are wired to stay connected in that moment and stay present because we are attempting to, at all times, signal our intentions and our internal state with others. So if you are not doing that, you are violating the social engagement system. And another piece that we can add to this is play. So play is a way of using the, the actual, the sympathetic nervous system. So some blood flow to the skeletal muscles to create some mobilization, but at the same time using our social engagement system, the facial gestures, prostate voice, and middle ear tension any kind of humor, play, games, fun, what that's doing is it is triggering. It is indicating automatically that you have the intention of safety and that your internal state is safe in this moment. If there was a threat behind me, I would not take time to play a game. I wouldn't say, all right, there's a fire over there, but let's play Monopoly. I wouldn't do that. The only way I'm going to engage and play with you is if I know things are safe. So For me, if I'm trying to create a learning condition, a learning environment for other people and for them to feel safe, me introducing play and games and humor is me telling them this environment is safe for you. I'm holding this space as safe for you right now. And you will see a lot of people act much more engaged once you bring a game or some kind of playfulness to an, a learning activity. Um, we are wired to do that. All mammals play. It's part of. It's just part of how we keep using our the blood flow, skeletal blood flow and sympathetic nervous system, but also engaging our more evolved social engagement system at the same time. So playfulness is another one. I have an acronym and then three things just to think about as we leave this. So the acronym for creating a safe learning environment is SAFE. S is for soothing. So soothing sounds. So whenever there are a lot of, uh, if there's a projector or air conditioner or some kind of system that creates a lot of base frequency, that is gonna be a problem for a lot of people, people with auditory hypersensitivity, but really anybody because that base frequency is what triggers a defense response in us. So as you can see, hospitals don't necessarily help in that area. And a lot of people actually find that they heal much faster at home. And there's many other reasons for that too. But I'm sure part of that has a little bit to do with the fact that there are so many sounds that are causing that bass frequency. So trying to understand that and adding, uh, sorry, removing bass frequency when possible. But you can also add acoustic music with higher frequencies can help create a condition that's more conducive to learning. Which is not to say there's no place for rap music or music with very bass frequencies. But what you notice from that is that, say, rap or really hard rock music that's really good for working out because it actually increases blood flow to the skeletal muscles. So it actually causes our mobilization system to activate. So if you need some energizing of your sympathetic nervous system, of your mobilization system, that is good. But if you need a calming down for learning, a down regulation of that, then removing bass frequency is really key. So soothing conditions, soothing voice, as I was saying, which is more prosody of voice. It doesn't have to be sing song. I'm using prosodic voice right now because I have a lot of variability, hopefully, in my intonations and things like that. And then in terms of soothing, talking about self-soothing and also co-soothing. I needed to use the word ask so the acronym would work, but regulation would be probably a better word. So self-regulation is when we start to learn through teaching from other people and from our own um, experiences, we learn how to self-regulate. So that might be focusing on our breath, taking long exhalations. Long exhalations help. Regulate. They help activate the the myelinated vagus nerve. So long exhalations help with that. You know, focusing on an image that brings us a sense of soothing. Anything that we can come up with and that we learn about, a lot of these mindfulness and meditation, calm classroom, all of that stuff is helping people learn how to self-regulate. Feeling your extremities is another way to bring your awareness back into your body. For example, squeezing a stress ball, pushing on a wall, even doing high fives with people. And that can help, you know, downregulate that defensive system too. So self-regulation, preferably with some kind of ability to just focus your attention on something without using an object, but using an object is also just sometimes the way it's just going to work better for a lot of people. So if that's what works, all of those can work together also, not just in isolation. So self-soothing, but then we've got the co-regulation, which is to... To acknowledge that you play an important role in a person's ability to, ability to regulate their state in that moment. And it is the the person who's most self-aware of this is going to have the best chance of creating safety in that moment. Because someone who's not aware of this means they're unconsciously triggered, which means their defensive system is already up. So if you already know this, there you can mentally prepare and visualize for different interactions you have with people. That has been my strategy over the years people that you know where there's a lot of tension or defensiveness, the best thing to do is to actually visualize your experience with them ahead of time and visualize yourself, feeling eyes yourself, experience eyes yourself, breathing slowly, feeling calm, having smiling eyes, a soft smile as you are seeing them do whatever it is that really bothers you, having that kind of visualization I find mentally prepares me. And I would even say there, there would be enough research to back up that probably creates enough activation of neural circuitries that if I do it enough times, it's going to be easier for me to access that higher order mental state while I'm in the presence of that person. If I don't practice this, there's a better chance I'm just going to react the way I always react to them, which might be in the defensive mode. So try to mentally prepare yourself and have an intention before you set foot into an interaction with somebody, a classroom, a workplace. Having those practices ahead of time is really helpful. So that's S for soothing, soothing, self-soothing, co-soothing. A is for attentive. So the most important thing to remember is being present. If you can be present in your body to really be there with another person and not be distracted by your phone, not be distracted by your own thoughts. Another way to be distracted is to wait, You just waiting until they finish the end of their sentence so that you can jump in. That is not attentiveness. Those kind of things are going to lead to you having less prosodic voice. Your facial gestures will change. Everything in your body is going to change the smell of you. And these are all subtle things that are going to change how that person is perceiving you as a threat or as safe. Attentive is really the most important state we can be in when we're with another human being. There's really not much else you need to know other than that, because trying to just be there and not be distracted can initiate the feeling of safety. F is for fun. So playfulness, humor, games, all of that stuff. That immediately triggers us to know that things are safe in that moment. Obviously, you can't do that when there's a life-threatening situation. I'm talking about when you were trying to create a learning environment because it is safe. And then lastly, expressiveness. So, you know, allowing yourself to have enthusiasm in your voice and enthusiasm in your face and smiling with your eyes and not holding that back. The younger the person, the better if you're doing that with. You'll see that the more expressive your face gets with the baby, the more you will capture their attention. And the more expressive your voice is, the more you'll capture their attention and that's not just for babies but for any person the more expressive you are which requires you to be present in that moment the more expressive you are the more safe they will feel and the more engaged they will feel because that is just how we are biologically wired so that was the acronym safe uh, soothing attentive fun expressive and just three things to think about as you go into your, your workplace, family, community, organization, classroom, whatever that is, three things. The first is unconscious triggers, to understand that many people are interacting with you based on unconscious triggers. So if it looks like they're not focusing on you, uh, on what you're saying, if they're f- seeming aggressive or defensive, there's stuff going on that is causing the mechanisms in their body to do that. And it's not willful or intentional at that moment because the very areas of the brain that would allow you to be intentional and deliberate wouldn't even really be online if you are in that defensive mode so the best thing we can do is preventative measures and to create soothing conditions but preventative measures for ourselves in terms of Preparing mentally for situations where we know there's a lot of that kind of defensiveness is one of the best things we can do. And then to create as many conditions as we can and be very, very aware of how we might also be triggering somebody through our voice, facial expressions and all that. So unconscious triggers, second connection and attachment, that is a really important part of learning. If we don't have that, a sense of that with somebody and that feeling of safety and connectedness with somebody is going to be very difficult to learn. And then the last one is to understand that there are metaphorical fears, such as fear of failure, that can also cause someone to feel defensive with you. So trying to create a learning environment that celebrates mistakes and failure and self-reflection, those are all things that can help ease that, that level of defensiveness. Quick summary of today. Safety is necessary for learning. It's the number one state that we absolutely must be in, in order to be our most human. Our lack of safety comes from someone violating the expectations we have for us to stay socially engaged in that moment. Whether they look away, they're distracted by their own thoughts, or they come back with a hostile attack of some sort the more we've been exposed to that throughout our lives, the lower our threshold is for detecting threat. And we may even misinterpret cues as being a threat, even when they're not. So that is episode two. I hope that it was helpful. And I will uh, hopefully see you, talk to you in episode three. Thanks so much for listening. For free resources and materials, including the Growth Mindset Goal Setting Booklet, head to my website at stephaniefayfrank.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave a review.